Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And our special guest today is Father Doug Grannon from St. Vincent de Paul in Denver. We will be talking about the priest scandal, and this will be a two-part series. So the first part, we'll be talking about the scandals and kind of laying the groundwork in terms of what we know and what's going on, especially what's happened this past summer. And then the second part will be, what can we do? What can we do to uh, address the anger and the anxiety that we all have due to the failures of our leadership in the church? Father Doug, thanks for being here today. Thank you, Deacon Jeff. Good to be here. Can I back off just a little bit? Before, you may. Before we address those three and say that um, I came into the church with my wife. I'm a married priest with Pope Benedict's permission because I was an Episcopal priest before. But my wife and four of our children came into the church in 2003, so this was in the midst of the last scandal. And um, we felt confident about becoming Catholic because we knew that there was a great movement of new evangelization in the Catholic Church. We've always been committed to the gospel and calling people to conversion and good preaching and Bible study. And we knew that that movement was gaining strength in the Catholic Church. This is the essence of the Catholic faith. And we understood that uh, God had looked down on the Catholic Church and said, uh, the Catholic Church has to be the primary agent for the new evangelization, and I've waited long enough for the bishops to clean up the, the priests that are uh, misbehaving in a rather dramatic way, uh, primarily in homosexual fashion, abusing uh, post-pubescent boys. And we saw that this was, this was God doing this. And, uh, when the Boston Globe revealed uh, what was happening in Boston, and this began to spread around the country, we understood that this was God putting the bishops in the spotlight to, uh, to correct this. And they did that in 2002. Uh, they were very courageous and adopted the Dallas Charter. Um, and uh, we know, uh, f- uh, going now to the Philadelphia report, we know from the report from those dioceses in western Pennsylvania that what the bishops did, by and large, um, corrected the problem. After 2002, uh, there are very few uh, of these predatory priests um, still active in the church because they've been removed. Um, that doesn't uh, that doesn't help with the sordid nature of the stories. Yeah, to see everything out. in one big report like that just really shocked people. Yeah, I think. so yeah. that that I mean, it's very sordid. The details, even demonic what we read in there. But the good news that here in the United States, uh, the bishops acted in 2002 with the Dallas Charter and cleaned this up. And so we got that report, and I think that's that's a great summary of, of what we saw and, and what kind of led to that in 2002. But shortly after the Pennsylvania report, then we get this report about Cardinal McCarrick. Right. So, so here, uh, th- this, this really does put us back in scandal time again, because what we, what we have learned is that the, uh, we learned this from the, the, um, the people who conducted the study at the request of the bishops back in 2002. Uh, the bishops authorized Leon Panetta, uh, Robert Bennett, uh, Illinois Supreme Court Judge Ann Burke, and others to do a full investigation of this. Um, and what, what we learned now more recently with the McCarrick scandal and the reverberations from that 
is that the bishops exempted themselves from the study. And nobody, and nobody knew that at the we time, right? We, di we didn't know yeah, that. We yeah. weren't aware of that. And so the bishops did not want themselves to be investigated. Uh, and Ju Judge Ann Burke, who was the head of this uh, investigative commission, um, said on EWTN, Raymond Arroyo's World Overshow, that uh, they, they, they told the bishops they needed official authorization and uh, they presented the document which the bishops signed, but the bishops changed clergy to priests because they didn't want to be investigated. And so that left the likes of uh, Cardinal McCarrick and others who had, who had allowed for his ascension. Right. I mean, he was, a, he was an abusing priest who became an abusing bishop, who became an abusing archbishop, who became, became an abusing cardinal, and there were many bishops who had to enable Yeah, it this. wasn't in a vacuum. There's no way that could have right. taken place without people knowing. And, and so now we know why they didn't want to be investigated. And um, so uh, the Cardinal McCarrick scandal shows us that there is really – I mean, there's no other way to put it than just outright rebellion against church teaching and the church's moral standards at the very top of the church – and I, I would just add, uh, Deacon Jeff, that uh, in this country, even though we're in scandal, this is an Episcopal scandal now, right. we're better off than the rest of the Catholic world because the rest of the Catholic world, as we're finding out, hasn't had even the investigation into the priests. So we read about Chile, Argentina, uh, Germany, the Netherlands. They're at point one right you know they're they're having to do this uh, they're now. back in 2002 they're back like in we 2002 were. absolutely so we have the pennsylvania report we have the mccarrick scandal and then the next thing you know we get the vigano letter which yeah. when you read it really puts the pieces of the puzzle together mm -hmm. and makes us understand kind of why we're where we are can you comment on that yeah what, what we can say for sure is that many of the bishops that we trust, including our own Archbishop Aquila, who's one of the good guys, um, uh, has, has declared that Vigano is a trustworthy man. Uh, he may be mistaken in some of the things that he asserts, but they're confident that he wouldn't be lying right. or simply attempting to subvert the authority of Pope Francis. And so uh, Cardinal Vigano gives us an inside look at what's been happening from his perspective um, at the Vatican level. And, and he answered a lot of questions. If, if what he's saying is true, and that remains to be seen, but if it's true, he answers a lot of questions for us. Like uh, many of us scratched our heads when Cardinal George was replaced with, with Archbishop Supich and then Cardinal Supich, and we wondered, this is kind of unusual for us. This, this is a little bit strange, and some other appointments as well. And uh, Cardinal Vigano tells us that, um, that these men that we were curious about, why would they be placed in those positions, particularly because of their theological commitments or lack of right. you know, endorsement of church teaching on right. certain, in certain fundamental areas? Uh, Cardinal Vigano uh, tells us that, that these men often weren't even on the list that he, that he conveyed from the, the bishops who were recommending, you know, appropriate people to fill these sees. 
and uh, conveying that to, to, to Rome, often these men weren't even on the list or they were at the very bottom of the list. Um, and it turns out they were being, uh, Pope Francis was being advised by none other than Cardinal McCarrick. And his name just keeps coming up everywhere, whether it's with the uh, the China deal or you name it. He just seems to have his fingers in everything that seems squishy, to say the least. I'm trying to be I, kind. I, I, I'm trying to be kind. All I could do is agree. <laughs> I, you, you said it. I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we have all these things that have come out. Uh, you know, you mentioned the Dallas Charter, and that was that didn't make significant improvements in things. But people are angry because they've seen the hierarchy turn a blind eye to their own and allow things to happen and then not even comment on it. I mean, it's almost like, you know, if I put my head in the sand like an ostrich, everything will go away when I pull my head back out. It's almost like there's no sense of reality that they need to address this. Can you kind of comment on, one, the right – the justified anger people have because of what was allowed to take place, but then the no comment. I mean, the reality is that God's people are very discouraged. Um, leaders of, of we, the, the best in the Catholic Church, leaders who are blazing new trails with the, with the new evangelization, you know, those who create, are creating new cutting-edge apostolates, they're discouraged uh, by not only um, the, let's call it, rot at the top that wasn't cleaned out with mm-hmm. the Dallas Charter, but then the lack of anger, the lack of passion, um, the lack of response. And I get that on the one hand. Um, I mean, if we're speaking frankly, um, uh we, I think, I think the faithful bishops have never faced in their lifetime um, a situation where, um, again, speaking frankly, they really don't have full papal support in this in this effort to clean up the episcopate. And they need it. Uh, you have to have it. Yeah. Um, I don't want to digress from your question, but I will say that we know that um, three of our leading bishops met with Pope Francis. And um, we know, again, from uh, Illinois Supreme Court judge, retired Ann Burke, who, who chaired the last investigation that led to the Dallas Charter, we know that all of those who served on that first investigative committee uh, back in the early 2000s um, sent a letter with these bishops to Pope Francis asking him to authorize a second investigation, this time of the bishops in the United States. Um, Because they said, without your authorizing our investigation, the bishops in the U.S. can't can't give us that authorization. You have to have it. So um, um, as far as we know, well, I'll say we don't know whether they presented the letter to her. We don't know uh, what Pope Francis' response was if, 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 if he received the letter. Uh, I mean, it is discouraging that, that our highest leaders, our bishops, uh, the Bishop of Rome, Pope Francis, are entirely silent other than, other than 
they will freely talk about the priests and that we have cleaned up the priest scandal in this country. Um, there's a lot of talk about that, but almost no talk about the bishops, other than, of course, it's safe to mention McCarrick. But the right. one thing I've noticed even about McCarrick is um, where are the calls for him to be laicized and even excommunicated from the church if he fails to repent and fully account for what he's done. I mean, we, we for these kind of really grotesque, over-the-top, lifelong sins, we need a kind of medieval penance where, where the man is not only laicized, but he is uh, not able to receive communion for a period of time or sits in the back of the church with a sign across his neck, right. child-abusing cardinal or something such as that. Right. I mean, this... This requires an extreme response, and you hear almost nothing about this. Yeah, so again, you're listening to Respect Life Radio. Our special guest today is Father Doug Grandin. We're talking about the scandals within the church and more specifically uh, what's going on with the bishops, what they're doing or not doing. And so I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I remember growing up, my dad always said, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, good or bad. So there is... A consequence to everyone's actions, and it doesn't seem to be one, which I think really irritates people. I mean, you took his title away, but that's it. And again, you like you said, you don't hear anything else about it. He's he's gone quiet, and uh, I appreciated um, Father Gerald Murray's open letter to to Archbishop. I think he still has a title, Archbishop. He does, yeah, not Cardinal, but Archbishop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, he, uh, Father Gerald Murray, a priest of uh, of the Archdiocese of New York, who is uh, often on EWTN, he wrote an open letter to Cardinal to Archbishop McCarrick, which was published on the Catholic Thing, which is a great source of daily information, um, and and he essentially said you have the responsibility to publicly repent, and only you can answer questions that Cardinal Vigano has raised if Pope Francis won't answer them. And you have the responsibility to explain to us some of these, these issues that he raised there. Right. We'll see. Yeah, it's not, it's not pretty, and that's, I think, what got really people um, in a bind. The other thing is the church really hasn't done a good job addressing the homosexual problem. Even when some of our bishops have spoken out, there seems to be a focus on pedophilia and almost a pass on the homosexual issue. Why do you think that is? Well, we know why now. Yeah. We know why. Because our, our bishops were and cardinals were infiltrated by by men who have a disordered sexuality and are, are engaging in homosexual activity with like-minded people. And when I say infiltrated, you know, there, there are those who say that we've been infiltrated by communists or the Masons. And I know, I lived in Eastern Europe. I've served in Russia, taught in Russia for four winters. I know what the communists do. They do that. They, they infiltrated the Orthodox Church. I know that they do that. But um, I'm hesitant to blame this on outside infiltration. I think this is um, a worldwide problem with men who had, have disordered sexual preferences, and we didn't screen them out. We are now, since, since, since the Dallas Charter, we are doing a good job here. 
but um, uh, men who fail to live up to what the church teaches and the church that hasn't policed them. And so I agree with you. We know now um, uh, why uh, the bishops didn't want to talk about the uh, John Jay report that showed us clearly that 80% of the cases were not pedophilia at all. Right. They were men with disordered sexual inclinations, priests with disordered sexual inclinations, preying on post-pubescent boys. And it's clear now why they didn't want to talk about it, because that would have brought attention to some in their own number, like McCarrick and those who enabled him. Yeah, and it's it's a shame because it really has, uh, you know, how many good men did we not get into the priesthood because they saw seminaries and what was going on there, and they leave. And and I would say, Deacon Jeff, too, that um, um, there there you know there's great anger among God's people. There's there's great anger among the priests. I mean, even our marvelous Denver priests are just angry about this and they want to see action and they and and we talk and I know two priests have told me that back in in one of them said to me I went to seminary out east in 1988 mm-hmm. and my spiritual director warned me about McCarrick that he was preying on seminarians now if seminarians knew this in 1988 is it possible that bishops out there didn't know it no it's impossible There's and no so way. you know I think that We'll know that that our bishops are being responsible when um, and and the Synod of bishops that come it's coming up in Rome will know that they're addressing this head on if they talk about an invest a full investigation of what happened and what's happening around the world, if they administer discipline to bishops, not only who are like McCarrick who are engaging in in sinful activity, but they'll do an investigation on how this was possible. There was silence all these years and discipline those who enabled this, who knew about it. And they will also uh, face head on that although we've dealt with the abuse of minors with the Dallas Charter, we still haven't dealt fully with priests who are engaging in in homosexual behavior as consenting adults. Right. We read of these things nearly every week in the paper now, and so the bishops have to uproot this. If they don't tackle this head on, we will have a, a major exodus from the church, people withholding their money, and that will be a real tragedy. It'll be a tragedy. I mean, you can understand it, right? Because they're angry and they feel they have to do something. But yeah, to ignore to ignore the problem makes no sense. And you know, I look, a lot of people have sent out letters, bishops have sent out letters. Okay, that's good, but at some level we need to hear their voices too. I mean, if I there's a problem in my family and I send my family a letter as opposed to speaking about it, uh, they're going to be like, "What is this? How important can it be if you're not if I'm not even hearing your voice?" So I think the louder the chorus gets from bishops that this is unacceptable, and more than just letters, they actually hear their voice, they see the anger. Maybe that'll get that result that you're talking about. Because I think if you don't, I'm not sure we're going to get there. Yeah, and I think that we need to go beyond. Uh, just canon law, because uh, good bishops will say there's very little that I can do 
because this depends upon Rome canonically to take action. Well, um, I've, I've used this analogy. If, uh, if there was a franchise owner of McDonald's in Chicago and he began serving horse meat and that came out, I would be very disappointed, by the way, because I really like uh, McDonald's. Good, good for you. But if, if I owned a franchise, the McDonald's franchise in Denver, and, and the law wouldn't take care of it, I would get 10 of my fellow franchise owners, and I would go talk. I mean, talk. I, I'd love to punctuate this with some <laughs> profanity uh, with, that, with that fellow who's serving horse meat. And I would say, you're ruining the franchise. Yeah. You know, knock it off. Right. And, and so – the bishops should not simply say, I can't do anything because of canon law. There are things they can do. Well, and you you run your diocese, right? You make sure, or archdiocese to make sure you could say, look, if I find this problem, I don't care if you're engaging in homosexual activity or heterosexual activity, right. you're gone. And if I have to close parishes, I'll close parishes. But it has to be substantiated. We're not going to do it based on rumor. But if I find this stuff going out, you're done. You could clean up your own diocese. Right. You know, I, I want to say that uh, I was ordained uh, in the Diocese of Peoria, the home of Fulton Sheen. I was proud to be there. I'm, I'm especially proud to be now incarnated here in Denver. I've been, I'm in my eighth year in Denver. This is a great place. I mean, Cardinal Stafford, Archbishop Chaput, um, our present Archbishop, Bishop Jorge. We have uh, um, uh, Archbishop Gomez. I mean, this 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 is this is the essence of faithfulness. Um, but even here, uh, we want our bishops to make sure there are no priests who are actively engaged in homosexual activity, uh, who are defending uh, homosexual activity. Mm-hmm. I'd like I'd like the bishop to look at if if there are any parishes where there's a priest who's not defending the Catholic faith as he should, if there's a dissident in a parish, this is the responsibility of the bishop to not allow this. But that said, this is a very good place to be when there's crisis all around us. Yeah, and so we've taken action here in the archdiocese. That's great, but that doesn't mean we can rest on our laurels. We still have to be vigilant and make sure that this isn't going on because I think you made a really good point. If you're willing to compromise the teachings of the church, then what? And it, it is a slippery slope if you start going against the magisterium of the church and and coming up with your own. It does where there's smoke, there's fire. And I think that's where we need to be making sure that all our parishes are faithful so that we can educate the people in the pews, the laity, so that they can be faithful, as opposed to worrying about, I wonder if this is going on or that's going on. Could I throw a couple other things Absolutely. in before we finish the segment? Uh, when I when I came into the church, um, I I was the director of the office of catechetics my second year in the church in Peoria. So so I was deep into all the scandal stuff. We had to organize. We, we had to do background checks and keep databases on all that and organize the classes for safe environment training. Um, but back then, I wondered, um, how, did, 
how did cardinal law get off so easy? You know, mm-hmm. um, he he was he was the epicenter of this. I get it. You know, I get it. There was a time when bishops were were counseled by psychologists that send them off and we can fix them and put them back in the parish. And and so there's a time when the bishops were not directly culpable for what they thought was true, but then when when they continued moving them around and that was uh, um, cardinal law's uh, failure. But then uh, I wonder, how could he get off so easy? I mean, he, he continued to have the title of, uh, I think it was St. Mary Major Parish. He lived in a cushy apartment. I had the privilege of visiting with him once there to talk about the, the pastoral provision for, provision for convert priests. I, I'm grateful for what he did there. But how did he get off so easy? Again, now we know there was no accountability for bishops, but the day has come where there must be accountability. Yeah, I mean, people won't put up with I mean. The acts that took place are heinous. No one questioned those. But I think what angers people even more is the cover-up and the lack of accountability. I mean, that really gets to people because, look, we are all sinful and we all have our issues. But when the light is there and people ignore it and people have been writing letters, I mean, we've seen a lot of people who said, well, I notified so-and-so and so-and-so, and then nothing happens. That cover-up, it just feels worse. Well, I'll tell you uh, something that happened to me. So one morning at uh, Mass, um, the, the texts that were given for the Mass, um, the readings, um, enabled me to speak out frankly on the crisis, you know. And um, uh, someone came to me after Mass and said, Father Doug, I've never told you this, but uh, my son... Um, was abused by two priests uh, here in the archdiocese, not one, but two, totally separate cases. Right. Um, um, and and this, is, this, is, this is decades you know, ago. My son was abused by two priests. And I said, that's tragic. I want to talk to you. I want to meet with you and, and learn about that. And I went to breakfast with a fellow who was not at that mass, didn't know about my conversation or my homily, and um, he brought up the scandal, and he said, uh, I grew up in Kansas, and Father Doug, I had a priest who inappropriately touched me after Mass one day. And, and then he said, and j- just a few months ago, I was talking with an old friend. I hadn't seen him for years, and I mentioned this priest's name and that he had fondled me. And he said, you know, he did that to me too. So, I mean, this is, this is really serious rot, that, that was cleaned up, we want to say that again, by and large, as far as the abuse of minors with the Dallas Charter. But uh, most, of these, most of these bishops have died that were accountable for, for their not, not, not releasing this, but some are still alive. Thank you, Father. 